in the Christmas season, and so we're talking a lot about hope and Jesus coming to earth. This is, you know, a really special time every year. And today we're going to end with reading a, a portion of John 1, but we're going to take a little bit of a journey to get there. So we're going to read the, that bigger scripture junk at the end. When I was a child, my mother used to read us lots of stories. She loved reading. She taught each one of us to read in our family. And some of my favorite memories are climbing up on the couch as she would read to us. And of course, she would read a scripture, but she also read us lots and lots of different types of stories. Sometimes they were biographies of people who did great things uh, in, in their lifetime, and there were lots of fiction stories and folklore, and it's just uh, my most, one of my most treasured memories, and it also instilled in me a love of reading. I do, I do enjoy reading fiction and great stories. Now, you might not particularly care for reading, and today is not about shaming you into like reading. It's okay if that's not your thing. But I do believe that we as humans love stories. There is something in us that love these repeating narratives. So whether you enjoy reading, or whether you love movies or TV, or you love music or art or plays, all of these, all this art is a way of storytelling. And if you look back through the centuries, through different cultures, we have repeating narratives that take place, different characters, different um, setting, but many repeating narratives. So some of those narratives that we find reoccurring is this idea of sacrificial love. You know, that, that a character, a person, uh, would give up their life or put themselves in harm's way for someone else. This sacrificial love narrative. There's also the, the storyline of good overcoming evil. We're drawn to that. We love that. We don't want the person who is uh, trying to gain power and, and just hoard up things for themselves. We want to see good overcome evil and, and not let that stand. There's also this repeating idea of being connected to something otherworldly, like intelligence on another planet or the multiverse or just some kind of connection with a higher being. We, we see this repeat over and over and also this idea of love, that love is transformative. And if you find true love or pure love, that it, could, it can change your life or, or make a difference. You know, it's, that's the, 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 the most amazing thing is to find pure, true love. And so through the centuries, our culture is drawn to these themes again and again and again, dressed up in different ways, in different stories, but we see these repeating narratives. And something I find very interesting is J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, he wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and uh, the big fiction writer, fantasy writer. He was friends with C.S. Lewis. If you're familiar with him, he's one of our greatest, one of the greatest Christian thinkers we've, we've had. Uh, he's quoted most weeks out of the year here in our sermons. Um, and so Tolkien and Lewis were friends, and this is written about in many books and many articles. You, you can look this up. Um, but, but Tolkien was a believer first, and, and Lewis was an atheist. 
And Lewis writes about his, his conversations with Tolkien and some of the talks they would have that actually moved him from atheism to deism and eventually to Christianity. And something Tolkien did is he was trying to um, highlight Lewis's love of story because Lewis loved good stories. He was fascinated um, by all the, the ancient Roman and Greek you know, you know, stories that have been passed down. And so Tolkien said, Christianity is the origin story that everything springs out of. He called it the true myth. Yeah, because there's all kinds of legends and myth and folklore that we have. But Tolkien challenged Lewis and said, but there is one that is the true myth that all legends and stories point back to, that there's a hint of truth in it. That what these various stories point to is the truth of Christianity, the explanatory story that makes it all come together. That all myth and legend contain, contain some hint of truth to a transcendent living God. So essentially... That Christianity is the origin story that humanity longs to connect with. And so we have different narratives, different books, different stories, different art, different plays all throughout time. But there is a longing in us to connect with our origin, our origin story of how we were created. And Lewis credits this conversation for moving him from a place of atheism where, you know, his belief was that life is meaningless and it's just chaos and there is no meaning and there is no point to things. That moved him from, from atheism to deism where he's like, okay, yeah. That, that makes sense. If we have this longing, this continual longing um, to these great stories, there has to be some meaning to life. And then, of course, eventually he uh, converts to Christianity. And I agree with Tolkien. I think that it makes sense that humanity would continue to be drawn back to the themes of our story of origin, that we would have a deep, unknown longing to connect with these truths. Now, you could say, well, couldn't that be true of any religion? Couldn't any religion be the origin story that every story is pointing back to? But I don't think so. I think in Christianity, you have something so unique. Of course, I believe that Christianity is true. And I think that it only makes sense with Christianity. Because in Christianity, you have uh, that the origin is love. That at the start, you have love. And that salvation that being brought in is offered to us for free. That it's not earned. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. And so I'm going to give a quick review. So hang with me as I talk through kind of the overview of Christianity, because you might be here, you might be watching online, and you might think, I don't really know what the basis of Christianity is or what Christians believe. So, so hang with me as I just kind of give you some high points, although I'll be leaving quite a lot out. So in Christianity, we believe that there is a triune God, a tri-person God, one God, three persons, the Trinity, it's, 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 it's um, a mystery to think on. But this is important. Triune God, tri, three personalities, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The reason this is important is because this tells us that God has eternally and always been loving. Uh, let's think this through for a minute. St. Augustine's the one that really kind of fleshed this out. But you cannot say you have always that a God or a being or an entity has always been loving if they're a solo entity. In order to have love, there must be someone to love. And so that is why the Trinity, we can say that God has eternally always been loving because we see that in the three persons of God, that we have God the Father, the Lover, we have the Son, the Beloved, and we have the Holy Spirit, who is an action of love. And so we can say that 
Only in Christianity has the beginning, the eternally existing God from the source, from the origin, has always been loving. And it's something that, that, that anchors our soul because we also know he can never change. And so because he was loving from the beginning, eternally loving, he can never not be loving. And so I know I'm belaboring this point here. The rest will go quickly. But I just also want to say, because if there is, if there is a God, a single entity, that then beca- you would have to then become loving once you create creation. It would have to be kind of like you become something. But, but God has always been loving. Love has been at the start. So we have, a, we have God who is in a loving relationship, who creates a world and creates people to share in this love, to share in this relationship with him, did not create a world, did not create people so he could exhibit control and power over them, but he created them to invite them in to this loving relationship. And we know because he gives people a choice and says, but you can choose here to gain your own knowledge and to go your own way. And of course, that's what people did. That's what we did. And see, repeated throughout the Old Testament God continually trying to reestablish his relationship with his people. And he sends priests and he sends prophets and reestablishes the temple and many, many ways to bring people back into this loving relationship with him. And so finally, we get to the point where Jesus comes. And that's what we celebrate here at Christmas, that Jesus comes in the form of a baby, in humility, He comes to win his people back into relationship with him. And he doesn't come in power and in control, but he comes again in love to win his people. See in Matthew 1.23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And so the story of Christmas in this Advent season is such a beautiful story because it's God coming and being with us and restoring us back to the Father. And so we know that then he lives a sinless life. He dies to be our atonement. And then we believe as Christians that he will come back for us and we will spend eternity with him. This is the foundation of Christianity. And I believe that this is the greatest story of hope you will ever hear, you could ever be a part of. A Christian's hope is a father who wants his children back. And that is what we can hold on to, and that is what we see repeated throughout history, over and over again, coming to this crescendo with Jesus coming to earth to be the atonement for our sins. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. This reference here of entering the sanctuary behind the curtain, that's referencing that that before Jesus we couldn't go into the direct presence of God. We couldn't do it. And so there was this curtain that separated us. But Jesus came, was the atonement for our sin, and now we have Emmanuel, God with us. It has brought us back into right standing and in relationship with God. And so this is the hope that Christians have. And I think it's important to talk about hope because hope is vital for humanity. Whether you believe in Christianity or you're religious or not, people must have hope. If you've ever read uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, he was a psychiatrist and he actually went through the Holocaust and he survived. His pregnant wife, his 
brother and his parents did not make it, but he, he survived it and, you know, he went on to, to practice and counsel people and just kind of try to make sense of, of what happened to everyone. And something interesting that he discovered, that he maintains, is he said he was trying to figure out what was the difference between the people that went through the Holocaust that, that, that just had this drive to make it, this drive to get through, versus others that when everything was stripped away in these horrific conditions, it's just kind of like, that was it, that, that was it. They just, they, you know, internally something gave up and died. And so he was trying to figure this out in the years after, and he came to the conclusion that those who had hope in something outside of what could be taken from them had this drive to live, this will to live, something that kept them going. And so he, uh, you know, wagered that it is actually meaning that drives people. The search for meaning or significance, this idea of hope, that that is what actually drives humanity. Not the idea of pleasure, like Freud had said. That it's not pleasure that drives us. It's this search, it's this desire, it's this something in us that wants hope, that wants meaning, that wants significance. And I think it's important to note this because there are all sorts of things you can place your hope in. We can put our hope in a lot of things, a lot, but it can have very damaging effects to us when our hopes are in what I would say is the wrong thing. And so there's a lot to be said on the subject. I'm just going to give you three ones. This is certainly an oversimplification of everything we're talking about. But just to give us three examples of this, um, three common places we place our hope and what happens when we realize those things aren't eternal things to hope for. So for one, a very common thing that, that most of humanity does, especially when you're young, it's this idea of the future, that I will have significance, I will have meaning, I, you know, my hope is in the future, whether it's you know, your degree, your job, finding your mate, your partner, like once I get this thing, then I'll have meaning, then I'll have significance, and that's what my hope is in. And this, of course, it's, it's very hard to explain to someone in their middle of that, that when you get that thing, it's not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to give the meaning you think it'll give. And plus, it's something that can be stripped away from you, even if you do achieve it. Um, but this is something that is, is a very common one we, we all do. If once I hit this social status or this income level or insert all sorts of things. So this idea of our future is driving us, our hope for, for the future. Um, then, then there's this... Um, Thing that can happen when you let's say you do achieve the thing the white whale as it were that you were chasing your whole life uh, if let's say you get the white whale you get the job you get the girl you get the income level whatever it is or, sorry I'm sorry well okay let's talk about that one let's say you got it we'll skip to the last one let's say you got it but then you realize it's not what I thought it would be. There is still this lack in me. There's still this thing that, that is longing for deep meaning. And so all sorts of things can come from that when you realize like, oh, shoot, I, I hit that goal. I made that thing. So what's next now? And sometimes it, it causes us to do all sorts of things. Okay, I need a different career. I, I need a different spouse. I need more money. Or it can cause this deep um, depression or cynicism that it's like, okay, there is no meaning in life. And so it can be quite the letdown to spend your whole life, your, your hope and meaning being in your future, only to end up frustrated when you're like, it's not what I thought it was going to be. And then, of course, there's the outcome that perhaps you never get the thing that your hopes were in, that you thought your meaning and significance would be in. And that can, that, that can leave people with a 
profound sense of failure. Like, well, I would have had meaning, I would have, but I never got there. Or life treated me unfairly, or I was never given the opportunity, or I just... Many damaging things can happen to mankind when our hope is placed in the wrong thing. And that is why I believe the Christian worldview is so compelling. Because it is the fulfillment and satisfaction that we crave, but it's nothing that we can earn, it's nothing we can do, and it's nothing that can be taken away by someone else, by the economy. It, it is based on a loving God who offers you a relationship with him through the free gift of salvation. This is unique to Christianity. This is, this is um, so, so important. Tim, Tim Keller says this a lot. I don't know if he came up with it or if he's quoting somebody else, but uh, he often uses the word identity, but I'm going to use the word significance here. But my significance or my hope, or you could say my identity, is received, not achieved. When you get that, when you really understand that, that who, my significance, my hope, my identity, it is not in anything that I am going to do or be or become or the pressure's not on my spouse or my family or my kids to live up to this thing that gives me significance. No, I receive it. I receive it freely from God, from what he did. He is eternally loving and has invited me into that. And I get to receive the significance of being his daughter, of being his beloved, of being his son. This is huge. It's, it's incredibly important. Romans 8 says, For this, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If these things we can see and potentially grasp, that's not something to put our hope in. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm going to tell you a story. Maybe you've read this book. I don't know if anyone's ever read The Princess and the Goblin. I have it here. We've read it to our children. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, something from this book because I think there's just a really amazing uh, parallel to our faith in it. So bear with me as I kind of catch you up on, on part of this story that I want you to know. So The Princess and the Goblin, there's a princess. Her name is Irene. She is eight years old, and she lives in the castle. And she's not allowed to go outside at nighttime because there are goblins that live underground and in the mountains. And the goblins hate the day people. They're jealous of the day people because the day people get to soak in the sun. And so the goblins um, will try to injure her, anyone that is out after nighttime. And so one day, Irene is in, in this castle and she stumbles into this room and she actually finds her great, great, great grandmother, who most certainly couldn't still be alive, but... Here Irene is seeing her, so it's interesting. It's a figure in her life that is, that is good and is loving. She builds this relationship with her grandmother, and one day her grandmother is, she sees her grandmother is um, making this thread, a spindle of thread, and her grandmother says, this is an invisible thread that only you can, you can feel it, but you can't see it, and other people won't see it either. But I'm tying the end of this thread to this ring, and so I want you, Irene, to wear this ring. And if you're ever in trouble, take the ring off, put it under your pillow, and then feel for the, the thread. And the thread will lead you back home. It will get you out of danger. And it, but you have to trust the thread. You have to trust where it's leading you. 
and you have to follow it all the way through, but you can trust that the thread is going to bring you back here to me. And so the story goes on and other things unfold, but one morning Irene wakes up and she hears hissing in her room. She hears some kind of hissing or growling, and she fears that a goblin has made it into her room. And so she quickly takes off the ring with the invisible thread and she puts it under her pillow and she holds onto the, the thread and she starts to run. And she runs outside to make sure she gets safe. And then she keeps following the thread as it's taking her away, away, away from her house. And so she continues to follow the invisible thread. She feels it. And life is fine right now. And she thinks about how much she loves her grandmother and, and, and all the wonderful things. And eventually the thread goes into the mountain. But it looks like a path that she can't even get to because it's covered in all these fallen rocks. And so the thread is going into the rocks and she can't follow it. And so Irene becomes very frustrated and she starts to cry. She starts to say, well, this isn't fair. And maybe my grandmother doesn't love me and maybe she wasn't telling me the truth. And so maybe I can't trust this woman that nobody else can see in my house. And so she actually says, you know what, I'm just going to go back home because I don't know. And so she turns around to go back. But when she feels there is no thread, there is no thread to guide her back. And so she doesn't know where she is, and so she thinks, okay, well, I have a choice. I can either go back and try to find my own way home, or I will trust what my grandmother told me. I'm going to keep following this invisible thread. And so she's like, well, I might as well keep following it. And so she, she works hard, and she moves some of the rocks, and she follows the thread into the mountain where the goblins live. And she discovers there that her friend had been kidnapped, and so she actually rescues her friend, and they follow this thread through the Goblin Mountain, through many dangerous situations, but they follow it all the way, and sure enough, it eventually leads them out and leads them back home to safety. I say this child's story to tell you this, that I believe with my whole being that Christianity is the greatest place to put your tr hope. I think there is no better place to put your hope in than Christ, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. Faith in Christ will lead you into greater difficulty at times, not away from it. It's difficult to go against the grain of a secular culture. A lot of times it would feel easy just to go along with things. It's difficult to act with integrity at all times. It's difficult, it's harder to forgive than to remain justified in my position. It takes humility to, to be misunderstood and to try to not make sure that everyone understands at every moment that I have. Christianity will lead you into greater difficulty at times, but there is no lasting hope outside of Jesus. If you turn around, the thread is gone. There is no thread to guide you away from, without Christ. And so although it may take you into greater difficulty, you may go through things you don't understand, we, I believe that there is no greater hope and trust than in Jesus Christ. The invisible became visible with the incarnation of Jesus. Myth became flesh. This story that had been passed down, that there would be a savior that would come to rescue Israel. This was a story that, you know, I'm sure to outside cultures just thought, okay, another legend, another myth. But this myth became flesh. 
and stepped in and became history, and the invisible became visible in the form of a baby, in the form of Jesus, who, who connected us back to the Father, who made a way for us to be back in relationship with him, the person who is the author of hope. Let's read John 1. This is just a portion of it. This is your homework this week to read John 1 in your, in your devotional time with your family, in your small group. But let's read some of it here together today. In the beginning, the word already existed, eternally existing. The word was with God, and the word was God. We, we have the Trinity. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was ex created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. There's that theme that we love as humanity, that good will always overcome evil, because it already has. Jesus already has defeated the enemy. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Let's stand together this morning. I'm so grateful that God is the author of our lives. And it is the greatest story. And it's not just a story. It's as J.R. Tolkien said, it's the true myth. It's the true story that every other narrative points back to. I'm going to end with um, a Tolkien quote that hopefully I don't get in trouble for. Look away, Pastor Peter. This story is supreme and it is true. Art has been verified. God is the Lord of angels and of men and of elves. <laughs> Legend and history have met and fused. God, I thank you that you are the author of this life. And you have not just written, but lived out and made true the greatest story of all time. That you in your infinite love would create a people to be brought into that relationship to be loved and to be able to love you and that you would continue to win us back over and over again when we would choose to go our own way Father I pray for every person here if there's anyone here that thinks I've messed up the storyline of my life too bad. I've messed up the plot. I'm too far gone. It's too big of a mistake. I want to encourage you this morning that God is the author of the story. And God, I pray that you encourage them right now, that there is no person too far off the plot, that all we need to do is come back to you, say, Father, forgive me. 
forgive me. I want to be back in relationship with you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never trusted you as the author of their life, I pray they would make that choice this morning. And if that's you, you just say in your heart, just tell the Lord, say in your own words, God, I want to trust you to be the author of my story. I'm going to, I'm going to reach for that invisible thread. And even if I, it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm going to trust that you're going to guide me through dark times, through goblin mountains. But I'm going to trust that if I stay with you, if I remain a son, if I remain a daughter, you're going to get me through the other side. Lord, thank you for the greatest story of hope. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for knowing how the story ends. Thank you for writing us in it. You have the best imagination. You are all things exciting and true and good and noble. And you've written us into this story. We thank you for that, God. I ask that you would bless your people with more of you. Amen.